Welcome to the Taking the Leap podcast, where you can learn how to launch your full-time career in this part-time gig economy. No matter what career you're in, you have the potential to be the best version of you and overcome whatever obstacles stand in your way. And now, here's your host, the CEO of Bonvera, Bob Dickey. I'm super excited to have Tim and Brandy Jarvin join me today at our offices here in Knoxville, Tennessee, in our makeshift studio in the conference room. Uh, you know, I, Tim, I have really uh, enjoyed building a relationship and friendship with you over a number of years. Uh, you and I served together uh, at Bonvera uh, in board capacities. You're a co-owner and founder of this company, and I've really enjoyed getting to see how you think and process and analyze information, and uh, you've been just instrumental in the leadership and development of the company. Uh, so I'm really, I, first of all, I just want to say welcome. Thanks Thank for you. being here. Uh, and your, your beautiful bride is sitting right next to you, and she's, she's off to the corner. She's like, don't ask me any questions. I, this is just Bob and Tim kind of riffing today, but, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll invite her in. And She's definitely you know. here to improve the overall looks. There you go. Yeah. For, for sure. For sure. And at the other end of the table, we've got Casey and the rest of the tech staff. And so we're, what we've got to do is we have to figure out how you and I can just kind of zone out of all the other uh, things that are going on in here and just kind of sit back and talk. But I've, I've got a, a number of questions I want to ask you and kind of tease out some stuff. But one of the things that I really like to do with people that I consider successful in life is to go back into kind of history and understand the things that happened early in life, the foundations sure. that were set, the the lessons that were learned that enabled somebody to achieve success in their career. And so it, it, it seems to me, uh, me, me knowing you and your, your background, you were a successful engineer at Delphi. You had uh, a, a great engineering career there and probably learned a lot of things uh, and, and developed uh, as a leader. And then at some point decided that you wanted to transition and become an entrepreneur. That is a huge leap, right? That, that, sure, that yeah. takes, that's a huge leap of faith. And but even before that, you uh, you grew up. I mean, uh, uh, memory serves me correctly. Davison, Michigan, sure right? started. Yeah, and you were a, an all-star athlete in, in basketball, all-star athlete in football. You're recruited by colleges and universities around the country, and you know that also has to have a uh, a profound impact on you and how you look at life, how you deal with obstacles and adversities, how you prepare. You you know won a college scholarship, went and uh, competed for the Division Three national champion um, in, in college and football. And so I, I want to tease out and just understand a little bit about how those experiences prepared you to be a leader and an entrepreneur. Because I, I would imagine that there's there's things there that you know completely impacted you and, and set you up for success later on in life. Am I mistaken or is no, that a true, true statement? It's funny because a lot changed really quick. You know, when I sought off uh, in corporate America, I just had this uh, naivety, if you will, or naiveness, if you mm -hmm. will, that I was going to climb the corporate ladder and, you know, the world was my oyster. And uh, early on in my career, uh, before I really went full bore into manufacturing engineering, uh, I was doing some internal engineering and internal sales and, and, um, I was part of a fifth cutback and, and, uh, you know, when the employer pulled me in and I got that tap on my shoulder at 10 AM and, uh, I think it was a Wednesday morning. Um, 
They informed me it had nothing to do with performance, but had to do with profits and, you know, being part of a fifth cutback, you, you know, you're no longer in the fat at that point, you know, you're into, you're into the bone pretty much. And, uh, it really shook my confidence early on because here I was going to climb the corporate ladder, you know, stake my flag, if you will, and make a claim. And, and, uh, I'd worked hard and, and found myself on the other end of that stick. And, uh, thankfully I had a coworker at that location, um, very disappointed about the company's decision to let me go. And, and uh, got me an interview at a major manufacturer, Delphi, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, uh, who was a the, one of the sole suppliers to GM at the mm-hmm. time. And uh, very quickly, I got a, a job full time as a manufacturing engineer and was tasked with bringing in these multi-million dollar production lines. And very quickly into that game, uh, mid 2000s started mm-hmm. to hit, and, and most of us would probably recognize the what happened with the economy not too long after. But I was actually at the front end. My job, you know, for the first uh, year or two was bringing in these multi-million dollar production lines and all the stress and all the responsibility and working alongside other very gifted engineers to literally take them from design to what we called PPAP, right, into full-scale mm-hmm. production for, for GM. It was only a year and a half, two years into that game where I started getting tasked with taking them out of production. Mm-hmm. And uh, what everybody knew only a handful of years later, I was at the front end, you know, knowing that things were shifting. And, you know, the joke was that the Michigan hand, you know, you can use your hand when you're from Michigan to point where you're from. But the joke within the engineers was that hand was, you know, all the engineering jobs that were waving Mm bye-bye. We knew that engineers coming in no longer could just take the job. They had to take the job with a passport because, you know, at the time, you know, the cars were made in Flint and you couldn't drink the water in Mexico. And very quickly, you know, a short time (laughs) later, all the cars were being made in Mexico and you couldn't drink the water in Flint. But I guess my rose colored glasses having been shattered just a little bit when I got that tap on the shoulder, uh, understanding what I know now, it was no fault of my own. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you're a young, aspiring, you know, climb the corporate ladder, career oriented individual, it it, it definitely hit me and, and landed a little differently. So you went went from being a company man to saying uh, maybe I ought to be start my own company. <laughs> oh my goodness! And the motive, really, you know, as it relates to your question with becoming an entrepreneur, it, the the motive was very quickly recognized that there wasn't the security that I was looking for, and I probably wouldn't have been able to say it this way at the time. But I realized that the security or the floor that mm-hmm. I was seeking. Uh, really wasn't there at the level in which I had anticipated it would be. Mm-hmm. But the the ceiling that I was willing to work so hard for uh, literally had a cap in that environment and in that game. And that's neither good nor bad. It just wasn't what I was seeking. I was mm-hmm. seeking for the for the ceiling to be removed and some of the quest to be able to be, you know, uh, established on my own right. will and work, you know, work ethic, if yep. you will, right out of the game. So that kind of leads into... I mean, I can, I can see how that experience would enable or empower a person to be like, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play this game anymore. I can't control it. I'm doing great, but I, I, I don't have control of my own destiny. Yeah, Bob, and, it, it's, it's not to cut you off there, but it's really funny when I look back, like my reward for doing well there was more of what I didn't want. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wanted time with family. If you had asked me my priorities at the time. Uh, as they are today, it would have been faith, family, finances. But if you'd have looked at my life, it was finances, 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 fit the rest in. Mm-hmm. And so for doing a job well done there, what I found was I'd got more stress, more responsibility. And I figured at the age of 28, going in for a stress test probably wasn't a good sign of what right. my future held. But yet that's where I found myself. So you made a big leap. Big leap. B- huge leap of faith. Uh, there's a lot of people who talk about doing this. There's a lot of people who aspire to do it, but are too afraid to actually do it. 
until everything just like everything's got to be just perfect. You know, you've got to. Right. And I think you and I both uh, in in our experiences uh, have made leaps of faith in life where you just know it's like you're literally uh, crafting the airplane on the way down. And you're like, I hope I get lift off before I hit the bottom. Right. That's right. Uh, So one of the things that you and I not only you and I both made multiple leaps of faith within our career, but you and I also are uh, former college athletes. And I, so I, I want to understand how maybe your uh, athletic experience and your athletic background, being an all-star athlete in high school and then being recruited by colleges all over the country and going and competing at the top level, how, how did that prepare you for your entrepreneurial journey? Sure. Did, I mean, did it? Did, were there principles that you were able to leverage things that you learned on the athletic field, the discipline, whatnot, uh, that that helped you during that time frame where you were taking this huge leap of faith. Yeah, it, it's interesting how you set that up because uh, I was a big fish in a small pond, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody that's had some athletic background success realizes once you go from the high school level to the collegiate level, everyone's good. You're pulling all the big fish mm-hmm. from their ponds from around the country. Mm-hmm. And um, I came very quickly to the reality that athletic ability wasn't going to carry the day any longer. It was going to be work ethic. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's just principles you learn in athletics that you really have a hard time replicating in other Mm -hmm. places, Uh, doing things that you don't want to do for the purpose of a team, doing things that you don't want to do that rise above self-interest, doing things that you don't want to do because someone else will discipline you if you don't do them, Mm -hmm. right? So there's some self-discipline that that comes in, not just when you're under the lights, but, you know, when you're in the darkness per se, when Mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're not in the game. I I guess for me, one of the things that shook me early on when I started my entrepreneurial journey was up to that point, so many things that seemed to come so easy that I naturally was arrogant enough maybe to think that entrepreneurship would come easy for me as well. And uh, I, I really realized, you know, there were some things that needed to change about the the individual looking in the mirror mm-hmm. that ultimately would become, and I don't like this word, but worthy of being followed mm-hmm. uh, in, in that capacity uh, because there was a great gap between where I was, where I needed to be in order to be able to attract that success that ultimately mm-hmm. we were looking for. I think it strikes me is that there seems to be a, a false narrative regarding entrepreneurship. It, it, it's talked about, you see the, you know, the shark tank you know, yeah. <laughs> episodes, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? It's like, oh, I'm going to go in there and raise some money and it's just going to, it's going to be super easy. Mr. Wonderful. I'm not calling you Mr. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, but it, it is, it is a, I've heard somebody recently remind me that, you know, being an entrepreneur, being in business, it is a full contact sport 24 yeah. seven. And it is, it is an up, it, it's a slugfest. It's uphill. It's grind it out every single day. And I think a, a, a lot of people don't realize that. And the few that take the leap are anticipating maybe falsely so that's just, oh, it's super easy. It's just going to magically going to happen, right? Yep. And don't realize how much discipline, how much work ethic goes into actually being a successful entrepreneur. And so I would ima- imagine that your athletic background, it's the thing I love about athletics, it's one of the reasons why I have my children in it, is because I think you are able to see tangible results early on. I mean, like, hey, if I work really hard, I don't have this particular skill set, but I get better. And yeah. you, can, you can track how you're getting better day after day, week after week, year after year. You start hitting milestones and achievements. And I, you know, for me in business, 
you know, I've been able to leverage that, that learning experience from my athletic background and, uh, and discipline and so forth. And, you know, I've seen you do that as a business leader within our own business and the, and the business pursuits that you've had. Tell me about your time as a football player and a basketball player. Wait, right. how, how do you, how, what were some of the, the, the big things uh, that you learned and that you were able to, to tease out and leverage in, in business? So one of the greatest things I've had to learn and still probably at some level is this concept of humility. Mm-hmm. And I, ne- I needed to learn it in spades early on and God gave me many opportunities to learn the lesson. Uh, you know, in high school, uh, we had won a certain level of success as a junior and we were on a, a championship team and the expectations were very high our senior year. And that's where the recruiting was really starting to flow was from uh, the basketball pursuit. And I nearly didn't play my senior year of football so I could strictly focus on, you know, that endeavor. You're going to go all in on basketball. I was going all in, all man. In. All the chips were being pushed to the middle of the table. And and my mom and her wisdom really encouraged me uh, to play my senior season in football just because I'd played for so many years. And mm-hmm. the truth is I, I, I enjoyed the sport, right? And uh, Did you guys and, beat Grand Blank that year? Uh, I, I, I'll just say yes. Okay. <laughs> Didn't we always? Okay. Oh, yeah, gosh. <laughs> so uh, for those those listening, both the TJ and I, uh, went. To, we were in the same conference, right? So right. you went to Davison High School. I went to Grand Blank High School. We weren't there at the same times, but that's true. big big nine. That's true, back in the day. But um, it, it was really crazy because uh, in that season, I had actually a, a, a really good football season, even better than probably anticipated. Mm-hmm played both ways um, and recruiting started actually flowing from football and then basketball season occurred and early on in my season of which started as we would have hoped mm-hmm. uh, at eight points through the first quarter of one of the games actually when I came down from a rebound and watched my ankle go sideways and my foot stood still oh, and man. Uh, it, it was a pretty dramatic uh, ankle sprain they, they, they told me that if I would have broke my ankle it might have even been better so mm-hmm. um it wasn't the season we were hoping for. I'll just yeah. say that. And some of the recruiting tailed off for basketball. So you and, had to learn how to deal with disappointment oh, and it was, setbacks and obstacles. And even when I was able to come back that year, which I was able to, I was a shell of, of you know, the individual that uh, I should have been that season. And so it was, it, it was to other people's standards, it, it, you know, it was a good season. Mm-hmm. Um, I had good numbers, but to my own standards and what I knew was possible, it was a huge, you know, huge disappointment. How did, how did you deal with that as an athlete where you have this internal expectation knowing that you can perform at a certain level and you're not? Everyone else around you is like, oh, this is great. You're still doing a great job, but you're like, you're internally, you're not measuring up to what you wanted to do. It's a huge gut check. You know, I saw uh, being from the Flint, Michigan area, we played a lot of teams that uh, had individuals that went on to play in the NBA, NFL, mm-hmm. you know, so we were around a lot of, at the time, you know, uh, professional talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game I came back against a, a school by the name of Clarkston, Michigan, had a gentleman that was a couple years younger than I, but went on to play at Indiana University. And it was my first game back, and they they washed the floor with us. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't even think I could have guarded the third best player that day, you know, just because I couldn't function and move. And so it, it's a difficult struggle in anything where you have a, a mindset of what you feel like you should be able to accomplish and, and maybe just don't feel like you're equipped with the tools to be able to, uh, to achieve what mm-hmm. you have in your mindset. And, uh, then you, then doubt starts to creep in, right? Self doubt mm-hmm. starts to creep in and your confidence starts to get shaken. And, uh, as much as I was disappointed and maybe struggled with that 
event in the moment of the of the content of mm-hmm. it, if you will. I didn't truly understand the context of it and how it would start to shape me and form me for what would only happen a year later when I went to to accept a football scholarship and went to play uh, football. Uh, trained all summer to to do what was more naturally my position, which was tight end. I had to put on some weight, and so I spent the summer lifting weights, putting on weight, and training for you know the cardio conditioning metrics that they had set for tight ends, only to get invited to an early camp for a select group of freshmen. And uh, first day of camp, the uh, coach came over, defensive coach, head coach came over, tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we've watched a lot of your film. We really were impressed and we'd, we'd actually like you to entertain coming over and potentially being the starting safety. And of course, you know, they fed that ego on uh, you ever say something where you say it and then you really wish you maybe hadn't said it. Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah. And uh, thinking that was a good answer until later that day conditioning started. And now I was running and doing sprints with defensive backs, which uh, physically are just structured differently than tight ends that I'd spent my whole summer training to become mm-hmm. and uh, had a miserable, miserable camp because my body just was basically asking, what are you doing to me? Right. You know, as I was being asked to do different tasks that I had spent my whole summer training to do something different You're with. Putting a Clydesdale in a Kentucky Derby. Oh, goodness. That's a good analogy. That's exactly what I felt like because it felt very heavy trying to do the things I needed to do and just had a, a, a terribly disappointing season ultimately to the point where uh, we had started a family at that time and uh, decided to walk away from football actually after one season when you had all these great expectations you know built in going there and foreseeing a a a long career you know and what we were doing there so so that has to have a little bit of foreshadowing of you being an entrepreneur because i've never met an entrepreneur that says you know what it was amazing i just had this idea and we started this company and everything just fell into place and the money tree was growing out of every single office and it, we were just printing money and there was no you know issues. Yeah, it, 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 obviously, it's quite the opposite, right? It's totally. obstacle, 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 prepare for one thing, build something out only to come in and be like, you know what? We got to pivot and go in a completely different direction. We're ill-prepared for this. We're ill pre-. So it's just, that's the nature of the beast of business, right? It's just the pivoting and yep. iterating. So do you draw upon those experiences uh, in your entrepreneurial journey? Um, to and, and that maybe we'll call let's call it maybe muscle memory, right? That that muscle memory. You now you're applying it in a different area of life. But how how has that helped you or prepared you for what you're doing currently? Yeah. So some people might say I'm stubborn. Uh, I would just say I'm um, committed, right? And so one of the things uh, that that those experiences really did for me is there there were some things that were outside of my circle of control uh, at that time, uh, you know, in athletics. But one of the things I really have learned to appreciate and look for, and you and I have had this conversation, albeit you probably didn't realize my specific intent behind asking you some of these questions uh, quite some time ago, but you never know what you got in the good times. Anybody can be the leader and succeed in the times when things are thriving. Uh, you really find out who you have and whose you have, mm-hmm. meaning what what they stand for uh, in times when there's difficulty and struggle. And, um, I, I don't know if you remember, but when one of the times we sat down, uh, I'd asked you about some of the struggles you had had and, and wanted to understand those because I was more interested in how you had responded to some of that mm. than the fact that you had the struggles, right? And, mm. and I think there's a lot of truth and value found in sharing some of these stories because to me, it's not if somebody fails, it's it's how do they manage that experience. And um, I didn't manage it perfectly. Um, I managed it poorly in some cases, but 
uh, but I didn't stop and I didn't quit. And, and, uh, when we became entrepreneurs, uh, I had had enough life experience at that point to realize, you know what, I do have a competitive spirit. Um, I do have a winner's spirit and, and I am willing to learn. And there were lessons that I didn't seize the moment in, in athletics that had I done that and not just relied on talent alone, uh, that, that I would have had a better experience. You know, it's easy to rely on talent alone when something comes very naturally to you until you're around other people that are equally as talented. Mm-hmm. And then it comes down to work ethic. You know, like people sometimes ask me, do you think you could become a professional athlete? Um, that was always my dream as a kid. But the fact is there was no way I was set up to become a professional athlete because my work ethic didn't demand it. But knowing what I know now, I believe anybody uh, short of some physical you know, shortcoming uh, can be what they choose to be if they're willing to put in their 10,000 proverbial hours, mm-hmm. right? If they're willing to master their craft. Um, and it was something I hadn't done at that time because I had, I had just floated along on talent. And what I realized when I became an entrepreneur was talent is not enough. You, you know, there's skills that mm-hmm. you need to learn that are available to anybody that anybody can take the time to learn. But unfortunately, my sports experience proved that I hadn't done the things necessary. And I really didn't want to repeat that mistake again. Hmm. You know, one of, one of the things that, you know, I see in you in how you use maybe setbacks or obstacles early in your career to help you have success later in your career it's almost as if those failures were almost like a, a vaccine that helped you become stronger to be able to overcome the uh, obstacles that you were going to have later on down the road. I mean, I, I look at my life this, uh, in a similar type fashion of, you know, those obstacles can either be something that makes you stronger, i.e. a vaccine, um, or they can be something that completely derails you and say, you know what? I quit. I give up. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm I'm reading a book currently when they're talking about how uh, the younger generation, especially in secondary schools, we're teaching our our children that failure is bad and they're they're so risk adverse. They don't want to get an answer wrong. They don't want to fail a test. They don't want to take any type of risk that could lead to some type of failure. And it's like, man, my goodness, we are developing a generation of to create companies, to be an entrepreneur, to create jobs, to be successful. You've got to take risk. You've got to put it all out there. Um, and the only way you get used to taking those risks and when you take a risk, guess what? You're going to fail. You're going to fail, fail, yeah, fail, fail, fail. And then you're going to have success is to experience failure and gut through it. So I, it, as I see how you, you are, um, you, you are extremely strong and resolute in how you lead within our company and how you motivate folks. And I think, you know, I, I asked you those particular questions with intentional uh, design just because it, I wanted to be able to tease this out because I think that those setbacks that you had early in your career enable you to be uber strong uh, now in your in your journey and how how you lead uh, and what you do with us currently. Well, it's, it's interesting. And maybe the only, so first of all, I've never thought about it the way you just positioned it. Uh, but I think there's a lot of truth and, and value in, in what you just gleaned that maybe I've never even taken the time myself to, to, to flesh out. Uh, there, there is a principle that I think any aspiring entrepreneur needs to learn, which is backcasting, you know, where they start and begin with the end in mind as Stephen mm-hmm. Covey talks about mm-hmm. and, and almost mentally put themselves into a future position. And then be able to work backwards, right? To, to take the, the sequence of steps in order to get where they want to go. Another one that can be somewhat dangerous for people, but is equally as important 
is uh, this concept of pre-mortem. And I'm not talking post-mortem you know, post mm -hmm. when you're done and we're doing an autopsy because we can't bring you back to life. But yeah. a, a pre-mortem is you, you do this almost the same thing as backcasting where you go to that future, but you experience in your mind a negative outcome. And then if you're able to, with a level of maturity and emotional intelligence, uh, figure out what caused that failure so that you didn't reach that desired end, mm -hmm. then when you incur those obstacles along your path, you're more emotionally prepared to be able to adjust to, to ultimately change the, the outcome that you're looking for. Um, you know, we hear all this um, modern talk and, and, and some of it lives in reality of um, always, you know, staying positive and focusing on the future and, you know, wherever you put your mind, you know, move in that direction and all that is true. But I think there's some value and uh, strengthening, maybe is the right word, of having this pre-mortem mindset uh, in tandem with that. Because I'm not, I'm not here advocating negativity, but I am advocating uh, responsibility and preparation. Mm -hmm. and, and so if somebody is able to take themselves there and imagine a failed outcome, then ultimately as they incur some of the obstacles that led to that failed outcome, they're more properly positioned and better equipped to be able to quit more quickly make mm -hmm. the adjustments to get the outcome that they're looking for. Well, let's make a hard pivot. Okay. One of the things that I really admire and respect about you, there's a whole bunch of them, but most people have a complete and utter fear of public speaking. Hmm. And I've watched you, and everybody has a different type of public speaking style, right? And you know, some people, they come off as they're just very maybe unscripted, off the cuff, and just kind of fly by the seat of their pants. And one of the things that I've noticed about you, and you're a very gifted public speaker, a great communicator and orator, but your style is also a lot different than what I've noticed with others. It comes across as very, very it's very scripted. Uh, you can tell that you've put thought and energy into what you're about ready to say. It's almost as if every word, every phrase has been carefully chosen. I was like, this is th what when 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 you speak, you people immediately listen and and open up and start taking notes, right? And I, so I want to unpack that a little bit because in the back of my mind, I mean, as I've watched you give these, these talks and, and communicate, it's, it's not something that just happens. And so I'd, I'd love to understand a little bit about how you approach that. I mean, do you prepare? Do you have notes? Do you, do you practice at your house? I, I envision you might be like in your basement, kind of like walking around, actually delivering a talk. I'm just kind of curious. The jokes, I practice at home with okay. my kids, but no, I'm teasing. It, it, it's a natural uh, um, you know, byproduct of, of being an engineer, of course, right? Uh, all engineers are great speakers. So I'm kidding, <laughs> yeah. right? I, I used to work with car parts. I, you know, I always tell people because they didn't talk back. So um, they say that the number one greatest fear of man is public speaking meaning they'd rather die than, mm -hmm. you know, public speak. And I was probably there when we started. I'd much rather um, be somebody that was in the casket versus the guy giving the eulogy, if you will, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. I, I just didn't have an interest in um, public speaking until someone offered me a really different perspective. And first of all, that's an awful high compliment to be paid. So I appreciate that. I don't know that I'm deserving of it. But um, uh, while I do prepare and put effort, uh, because I want to always give a, a dollar to value proposition of whoever I'm speaking to, you mm -hmm. know, I want to offer some value for their time, because while hopefully they respect my time, the, the they're showing up by definition, you know, I, I should return that favor. And I mm -hmm. guess, you know, the, the progression was one of specific intent. I think if you would have heard me start to speak uh, when we first began, you know, public speaking, uh, I, I don't know that that would have been at the top of the list of where we would have been starting this podcast because uh, 
you might have been taking a nap during the podcast. <laughs> it was uh, it was not a glamorous uh, starting point. But I remember early on asking a mentor, you know, how can I improve in this area? If I, if I have a, a message in my heart, um, how do I go about communicating that where I can reach the most people, mm-hmm. right? Because we know there's all different types of personality styles, all different learning styles, and uh, they all don't relate to the one I had at the time, mm-hmm. which was very analytical, detail-oriented. And uh, one of the best pieces of advice I was given is, you know, when you're in the crowd listening to other people that you consider to be a great communicator, watch their style. You know, don't just take notes on the content, take notes on the delivery. Mm-hmm. And um, I've started, you know, 15 years ago, roughly just studying people that are incredible communicators and tried to figure out how do they reach a diverse group of people so that, you know, if there's a hundred people in the room, you know, not only are the 25 that are like you Mm -hmm. capturing some value, but how do you reach the maximum number of people? And so it was a a journey of specific intent. And then quite frankly, a lot of failure uh, to get to the point where, um, again, don't know that I'm worthy of that, that compliment, but hopefully I've improved over the years. I think one of the things I've noticed is that, uh, in the entrepreneurial journey, being able to communicate in a whole facet and a whole wide ranging uh, number of areas is extremely important. Whether whether at the very beginning of an entrepreneurial journey where you're you're selling and you're promoting and you're uh, maybe you know you're pitching an idea, uh, all the way to whether you're communicating with your bankers, your commu- communication is like a central tenant, something that you have to be able to do. Yeah. And you know, most people, like, yeah, as we said before, are scared of it. And, and it, but it, this is a skill set. It's one of those soft skills that a lot of times don't get taught in, um, in colleges or universities and people just kind of pick it up over time. Um, and so when, when I see somebody who is excelling in a particular area that is extremely you know, critical in the, in the entrepreneurial, um, journey, I just want to kind of tease that out and, um, so I, I've had people who have, you know, given me tips along the way. Sure. So, oh, hey, you, you know, you, what you need to do is you got to, you know, rehearse this or you've got to, you know, have your um, uh, notes or be, be very scripted. And when it, it, I've, I've found in my journey that I've had to just develop a style that's true to who I am and right. my, my skill sets right. and my abilities. So if I try, and I know kind of where that is, and so it's easy for me, if I can deliver content within that style, I feel comfortable. Yeah. But if I try to do and try to deliver content, be like, okay, I'm gonna be like my dad. You know, my dad's a pastor, he's an, a communicator, entire, his entire career has been about communicating. Sure. I can't deliver a talk like my dad does. I, and, and there's a whole host of people that'd be like, oh, I'm going to copy that person. I, I couldn't copy you and do what you do because uh, it wouldn't come off as natural. So sure. I think it's really interesting how we uh, every individual needs to find their flow, their, their unique way of communicating. Um, and I think you do that very, very well. Well, it's interesting you say that because to me, uh, one of the other great pieces of advice I was given when I was very fearful of taking a stage and you know, uh, what are people thinking of me and how I'm delivering this message was, uh, my first concern was, what are you going to say? You know, that would, that people would even want to listen to. And what I found was, you know, at the time I was very involved with athletics, uh, cared a whole lot about football. I still enjoy watching a football game. That's Mm -hmm. not the point, but my life revolved around it at this point. And so it was very easy to engage in a conversation about an interest. And so one of the things I learned over time was that the more I had interest in other areas of life, the more uh, education I was exposed to, the more capacity I had, and the more I had to offer a mm-hmm. value. And so 
it started to take the pressure off because it wasn't so much trying to deliver something you didn't know anything about as much as things you had learned. And uh, one of the greatest analogies or parallels that I think I learned early on, and I've heard it repeated here uh, recently uh, from a personal friend, is what I call the tackle box perspective, meaning each of us carry a tackle box in our life. And uh, most people go through their whole life you know, opening their tackle box and pulling the lure out that they think will work the best. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of trial and error with that. And uh, with trial and error comes a lot of pain and, and failure experiences. And there's failure in everything. That's not the point as much as how do you mitigate some of that. And so one of the one of the things that I've learned is within my tackle box, I try to do the best I can to learn from Bob Dickey's tackle box, you know, and the lures that he's excelled in and has experience in and and the lessons that I can glean from him and take the lures that he has proven to work and put them in my tackle box. Mm-hmm. So the next time I'm opening my tackle box in that area, I can pull a lure out that's no longer, uh, has to be under the, the guise of trial and error for myself, but already has proven experience and results. Well, that's great. What do you, when you mentioned earlier, the things that maybe you're scared of or you're not scared of. I mean, as a for, it strikes me as a former athlete, or maybe you're, you're still in, a, in athletics in some way, shape, <laughs> or form. Are you saying I'm yeah. getting older? <laughs> no, you, no, I'm just saying that you're wearing a, uh, an athletic shirt right now. It looks like you could go take a football field. Uh, well, the, we, we, I shouldn't mention the University of Tennessee football team because they, be, they got beat so bad last weekend uh, against by Georgia State. But uh, well, you and I are going to go watch the BYU game, and it looks like you could take the field today uh, as a linebacker. Is out that because there, so I'm holding the water bottle? Yeah, Is that yeah. the reason? <laughs> That's right. the water boy. Yeah, but um, it, are, what? what and, and from a a business standpoint, are there things that you're you, you are scared of today? I mean, you said early on in your career you may have been a bit fearful or apprehensive of taking the stage in public speaking. I mean, most people will say that. That is one of their greatest fears in life is getting in front of a group of people sure. being vulnerable and communicating. Obviously, that's not a fear of yours today. What I mean, I have a great you- fear in my life today, but it's very different than the fears I had before. You know, one of the pivots that I made in my life for the transitions was as I realized um, and put less focus on self mm-hmm. and the thoughts that consumed me of what other people were thinking, as an example. And the more I pivoted and started realizing what my purpose was. Uh, my fear today is not so much on what I'm going to deliver, how I'm going to deliver it, what people are going to think of that delivery. Uh, it has a whole lot more to do with uh, the fear that I live with today of uh, am I fulfilling the purpose and passions that I have in my life. It comes with the relief of mm-hmm. taking pressure off you, but it also comes with a different set of fears because you know they say life's a lot like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it speeds up, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, here I am post 30 or post 40, post 32, but post 40. (laughs) And um, I guess I just value and appreciate and understand uh, the essence of time. And I have a big calling on my life. And with that, I don't want to waste any of that time. And so the fear that I have is very different today where I'm I'm purpose and passion driven um, because I don't want to miss the opportunity to fulfill what that calling is in my life versus are people going to appreciate my delivery style or mm-hmm. it's less about me at this point, right? So you obviously have a purpose that is driving you that you're focused in on. The Do you, do you find yourself ever contemplating work-life balance in the, in the context of, you know, you being focused on your pursuit and your purpose and what you're trying to do in life? Is that something that you, you think about? Absolutely. So it, it is a constant struggle, 
where I think we're able to be a little uniquely different is that we bring our family into our entrepreneurial experience. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a compartmentalized piece of our life uh, because we get to fulfill the calling that we have and it changes lives, certainly makes money. You know, Mm -hmm. we get to have a ton of fun, uh, but ultimately for the purpose of changing lives, our our kids get to be brought into that. We welcome them into those environments. And I'm not proud to say, but it wasn't always Mm -hmm. that way. Like I didn't want to be interrupted. I didn't want to have them coming in in a meeting. I didn't want all that interruptions because I wanted a very professional setting because I was Mm -hmm. brought up as a professional, right? Right. As a a manufacturing engineer and sat in a lot of uh, boards with a lot of important decision makers. Um, And that's just the mode of operation I was taught, but uh, I guess I didn't realize maybe I, it didn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, it definitely spills in because I'm a thinker. And once my mind turns on, it's very, very difficult to turn it off. And uh, there, there are certain boundaries we have to put in place, whether it be with technology or whatever. I may have my phone on silent, but if I see somebody calling, I may be with my family at the mm-hmm. moment and not answer it, but my wife would be the first to tell you, and we're not going to let her, but we'll, we, <laughs> she'd be the first to tell, her, tell you that while I'm physically there, I'm mentally maybe not there. Well, I've had an interesting discussion recently with a couple of young people that uh, I've been mentoring. And it, a lot of times, especially in the millennial generation, it, it, the conversation a lot of times turns back to work-life balance. How do we have you know, proper work-life balance? And there's been a number of books that have been written on it, and I've you know, kind of thought about it. And I'm, I'm starting, I think, to somewhat change my mind my and I'm still working it out, but in terms of the whole work life balance, because look, as a as a family man, I'm a, you know married 25 years now, coming up on 25 years, I have six kids, and you know they are the number one most important thing in in my life that I'm you know outside of my you know, relationship with God and you know, my faith walk, and, you know it's my everything that I do is for my my, my family and, sure. but I, I've been struggling with it because people have been you know, saying, well, you know, proper work-life balance, you know, and where I'm at personally right now is I, I'm very much out of balance in terms of if you were to take a look at time. Sure. And so, and and I, and I've been kind of struggling with that whole mindset of, is there such a thing as work-life balance or are you able to be, you know, all in and doing the things that are required of you in a entrepreneurial pursuit and, and at the same time, making sure that you know my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids are still very first and foremost. Sure. But I mean, it is not even Stephen right now. If you were to take a look at the hours spent, yeah. And so I just it, it I've had some really interesting discussions on is a a true work life balance possible in the uh, the entrepreneurial world uh, of what you and I are doing. I'm just kind of curious how you yeah. how you think about that. How do you process it? Do you have something different that you well, the awareness is always there because mm-hmm. they say the very raw definition of entrepreneurship is fear of starvation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like it, it's just there's a reality that, that in there lies. And even if as an individual, maybe somebody gets past that point, you still have that burden or trust or responsibility with those that are in your trust, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so that weighs on you as an entrepreneur and as a leader of other entrepreneurs and other leaders um, to make sure that you're fulfilling uh, what you've committed to in that capacity. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, uh, I don't know that we'll ever have that right. I guess the, my greatest prayer is that 
the evidence of that will be found in our children mm-hmm. and the decisions they make. Like I look at you, Bob, and it's somewhat intimidating. I look at you and you got your coffee cup over there and it says Harvard Business School, right? I, I've never been to Harvard Business School. Um, you look at your your oldest daughter, you know, and, and the success she's seeing and just the evidence, the outward evidence of uh, what her walk is and where her priorities are. And it's just uh, it's an adm- it's a admirable thing that can only be pointed back to one, the grace of God, in my opinion. But number mm-hmm. two, then the guidance and the example that you've given her. And uh, I like to hope that within our family structure that our kids are an example of some of the uh, right decisions we've made because we've certainly made plenty of wrong ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so therein lies the, the managed frustration, if you will, of knowing you'll never get it right, but uh, hoping that living the right way or attempting you know, to always live the right way, knowing every day you'll get it wrong, that uh, your kids will see that. And I guess if there's one breakthrough Brandy and I have had over the last five, six, seven years is... Uh, not hiding that from our kids, letting them into a little bit of, um, not, not into the depth of it, you know, not the second and third right. and fourth order consequence, but understanding it's okay. You know, it's okay to fall down. Um, it's okay to have failure. It's okay to step out and risk and be wrong, but to give them the example of how you manage that, because the truth is uh, the world is going to teach them that lesson. And and uh, we have the first opportunity in the world to teach them how to manage that lesson. And um, maybe years ago, we tried to protect them from that. Uh, but at some level, I think there's a, a healthiness that comes alongside of that too. Jack Welsh just came out with a, uh, a new book. I think it's the, the title of it is a, a real world MBA. Mm. And the, the, the thing I was thinking about as I have that book on my desk, it's one of the next books I'm going to be reading, but to your point with, with a business where you're able to bring your children along and have them be part of what you're doing and see what's happening, you know, I think that the, the the experiences that our kids get from being in, in that room at the dining room table, hearing how mom and dad are talking about you know business and, what, and and whatnot, is probably some of the most valuable experiences and learning experiences that they get in, in a whole host of uh, areas. And so, I mean, I know that you're very intentional with your kids. I, I, I've been around you enough. I've been at your home and see how. Uh, you you live life and they're they're a part of your life and very much a part of your business. I'm trying to do the exact same thing, and I, I think that it's something that oftentimes gets overlooked in terms of a benefit of being an entrepreneur and having a business and having your family be a part of it. Yep. Of allowing your children to they 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 see real world example. It's a it's a real world MBA for your kids sure. as they're sitting there and and, and speaking into it. Um, Let me actually give you an example on this because I know you and I have had offline discussions uh, before about uh, raising, let's say, you know, the younger generation, age doesn't even matter, but let's say as they're pre or entering teenage years Mm -hmm. and how much rope I think is the analogy that I remember is the right amount of rope. Mm -hmm. And it's not always age dependent, it's Mm -hmm. maybe maturity dependent. And that's, that's probably one of the greatest most difficult things for a parent to figure out because it's not always the same amount of rope. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was reminded of, you you just used the word intentionality and Brandy and I really try hard to be intentional in those areas of our lives. And I believe all of our lives have seasons, right? Mm -hmm. And so the same intentionality we have today in our family will be different than what we have five years from now. But um, I joined a fantasy football league with some friends from uh, church and, uh, you know, we just moved down to Southeast Coastal Georgia here a couple Coastal years ago. Georgia. Coastal Georgia, yeah. And uh, it's important to designate that because there's only 90 miles or so of coastal frontage on Georgia. So there's a big um, difference between coastal Georgia and the rest of Georgia. I believe there's a huge yeah, difference. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's called the ocean and the breeze. Yeah. yeah. But uh, 
but I joined this team just just honestly out of just for some fun, right? Mm-hmm. Just to, uh, to to develop some relationship with these guys, and um, I enjoy football, so it just gave me a you know an additional interest. But I used to play it all the time, fifteen years ago. And uh, pulled a lot of those things out of my life. Uh, some of them were healthy to pull out because mm-hmm. you can only focus in so many areas. But as I've now joined this league, the first one for last over well over a decade, it's reminded me of how uh, intentionality is so important and how it draws your focus. And let me give you the example. So the first game that my player played in was last night. And I had zero interest in the game. No no interest. I I don't care for either of the teams, you know, at least not to take three hours of my life. And I certainly didn't watch the whole game even last night. But I did tie in because I had a player in that game that was, you know, potentially going to score me some points. points. Yeah. Yeah. And it reminded me very quickly of how both positive and fun it can be, but also how dangerous something like that can be because there is only so much time that people can place in a day, right? There is no such thing as the 25th hour. And um, wherever you put your focus is where your focus becomes. Mm -hmm. And um, you can't focus on everything. You can't be great at everything. And certainly intentionality does matter. And so it was just a quick reminder last night, well, while I'm going to enjoy this league and I'm going to have fun and, you know, it gives us something to cut up about a little bit Mm -hmm. as we tease each other week by week when we play each other. um, I'll still have to guard my natural instinct, which is to be all into whatever it is that I'm in, because if I'm all in in something there, then it's stealing some time from somewhere else, right? When you hear the word successful, who comes to mind? If you, if you, if you were to think about a person, it's like, okay, this person's successful. He, this, this person's been successful in life. What's the first name that comes to your mind? Yeah, well, the first one, and not because she's just sitting here, would be my wife, truthfully. Mm. Um, she's given up a lot that the world could look at that would define her success Mm -hmm. to be what she set out to be successful in. And it's not her success or what we would deem her success is maybe not the ideal of everyone's success or maybe even nor should it be. Um, But she gave up an opportunity as she was going through school to uh, go work full time when we were young so that I could go to school. And it was strictly an economic decision because we knew engineers would get paid more than what she was Mm -hmm. going down the path of. Um, but I have a lot of respect for her because she did what she needed to do in that season to allow us to structure our family in a way that we could hopefully better our life, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I could I could literally go through season after season of how she sacrificed, but yet when I look at her and the growth, I'm not proud to say this, Bob, but she actually grew in our marriage and the desire to be intentional there and as a parent well before I did, which kind of magnetically pulled me in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a lot of the accolades I get today, it's, it's no... Um, it's no surprise that I have a very strong woman, not behind me, but beside me mm-hmm. in this thing we call life. And um, I just really admire her. And I try to tell her every day um, how much of a success mm-hmm. she is because she doesn't have the degrees that some people might define success and mm-hmm. rightfully so in the, its own context. Um, she may not have set out and you know started 18 different businesses and made them all wildly successful like some people may define success and, mm-hmm. and maybe rightfully so. Um, but she's defined clearly what she wanted certain seasons of her life to be, and she's become the best at those seasons. And so I know I just got some extra points, hopefully, for my, <laughs> but, but it's the honest she truth. She got a big smile on her face from ear to ear over here. So we're going to have to drag her in here and, get, and maybe ask her <laughs> some questions. And, and so the other, I mean, there's two sides of that coin. Um, the, other, the other people that I would define success, I'm looking at one of them, first of all, um, and I've told you that privately. So, you know, I'm not just saying that for your benefit here publicly, but, uh, but I really have admiration for people that have defined 
greatness in a different way than maybe what the world does. Mm -hmm. And I also am excited when they, when they achieve success as the world defines it, mm -hmm. but have done it based off the right platform. Yeah. I, well, the thing I like that you've highlighted, especially regarding your wife, Brandy, is that she was intentional in understanding what success meant for her. That's right. And then crafting and engineering her life to be able to obtain it. Yeah. And I think uh, so many young people, and I'll, I'll say that I started out that way as well. I, I had a picture of what success was being defined as, and you can chase whatever somebody else tells you what success is going to be and then obtain it and be like, oh, I'm, I, I'm not happy. Yep. I thought this was going to fulfill me, complete me, all those right. types of things. Be like, this is not, it, it, so it takes a lot of intentional soul searching uh, a deep self-awareness. Yeah. And especially when you're younger, uh, I, at least I wasn't smart enough to understand what it was. And so I had to ask other people who were ahead of me, people who I admired and be like, what, what did you do? How did you live your life differently? What, how did you think and process differently to obtain what looks like a really you know successful life? And it sounds like uh, Brandy, I'm going to ask you a question. It sounds like that's exactly what you did. Can you can you speak can you speak in it? And did you know early on what you wanted your life to be like, or was this a, a journey of self discovery? Um, and I know you're going to be so mad at me for dragging you into this because I told you I wasn't going to ask you any questions. I know I'm a little upset with you, but um, I'm mad at Tim mainly. But it's kind of funny because my mom would tease me because when I was younger, she's like she would ask what I wanted to do or whatever, and I'd say I don't know. I just I had this vision of this house, and when Tim and I got married, I wanted to be a mom. And mm -hmm. so um, for uh, for me, those sacrifices of, you know, choices that we had to make along the way, it's like, well, um, you know, we, we can have more stuff or we can back off on certain things and, and you can have that choice. And then mm -hmm. when we got to being a business together, it was like, well, this was an opportunity for us to make extra income so that I could have that choice to be a mom. And so what I just told Tim actually the other day was, man, I just, for the season that I'm in there, I mean, I, I have lots of other passions. I have things that I, that I am super passionate about that I do want to put some time into. But right now I still have three kids at home. We have four total, but I have mm -hmm. three at home and that's my focus. That's, mm -hmm. this is the season that I'm in. And so that's the time that I'm going to invest in. So when things come our way, then that's what Tim and I look at. Like, is this going to pull me away from what I'm meant to be right, mm -hmm. right now? Do you, I haven't seen too many entrepreneurs. I'm speaking now, married couples. Okay, so I, and like, granted, my the demographic that I'm pulling from, you know, my, my friends and you know, peer group and so forth. But those within my peer group who are married couples who are entrepreneurs, I can't think of even one couple now, right? That one of them is the entrepreneur and the other one's like completely disengaged. It's almost always where it, the, the, if, the, if it's a couple that they're, that they're both passionate about the business, whether it's a construction business or a, a law firm practice, whatever business it is that they're in some respects doing it together. And you and Tim, uh, I call you TJ, but you, you and TJ personify that, if you will. It, it was that a, a personal choice early on in your marriage to say, look, I want to be a part of this entrepreneurial journey. I want to be, be play an equal part. Was it something that you just grew into? How, how, how did that manifest? Because you guys play, you guys are like this perfect team. Oh, that's funny. Um, Tim's laughing in the background because no, uh, he originally 
he wanted to to get into business for himself. He basically knew that he didn't want to do engineering forever. And so when he originally got us into business and said, hey, I think we should be entrepreneurs, I'm like, oh, man, that just sounds like something you should do. I, I don't have the skill set for it. First of all, like you said, I didn't go to college. So there's no way I thought I could um, run side by side with them in a business. I didn't have any business mindset. But I did. I do remember him saying, man, I'm, I'm excited about this. Will you please just, can you be neutral and just come along with me? Mm-hmm. And so I think anybody who you know, loves their spouse, they're going to look at them and go, oh, sure, I can be neutral. And so, of course, I was along the way. But then it just, it was such an uh, incredible environment. I just wanted to be around the people. I started falling in love with, you know, what we were doing. And then, you know, we just, it took us a long time to, to figure out how to work together together because mm-hmm. we didn't, we've never done that before. But once we kind of, you know, got that going, and then I just realized, you know what, I not only am I did I want to be a mom, but I wanted to be a wife. And in, in my personal opinion, if my husband is called in a certain area, in this area he he believed he was called in, then I'm called to help him mm-hmm. to be his helpmate. And so I just kind of it, it took me a long time, but it, it got to a point where I just really wanted to. I really felt like I should be helping Tim as much mm-hmm. as possible in this. And then, of course, it's been a blessing. And Bob, I think it's worthwhile to note too here, we're very for if somebody wants to be a career woman and just the point isn't somebody needs to structure their path the way we've done right. as much as I think there's something to be learned here from motive, motivation mm-hmm. and and having drive. And what drove us was the desire to align our life with our priorities versus the obligations that we were living our life according mm-hmm. to at that point. And her desire to be a stay-at-home mom and and in total transparency in those days to get out of debt, mm-hmm. you know, when we were young, um, those were the things that drove us to do the things we didn't know if we could do. Um, believed we would like the changes mm-hmm. to happen, but those were the very incentives or motives that drove us to to change, right? right. And and to align our life with those priorities. And so, whether somebody's driven to be a female entrepreneur, you know, whether they're married or single, it, it, it doesn't matter. That's not you know, don't get lost in the story as mm-hmm. much as. Uh, the the principles that the story maybe is right. is teaching. Well, I mean, very similar. I think that what, how we started at the top of the the podcast, talking about public speaking and how everybody has their own unique style, their own unique gifting, the way they approach it. Uh, I think you know the entrepreneurial journey is uh, very much like that. There's not there isn't a rule book of here's the one answer to be successful. You know, in an entrepreneurial career. Uh, there, it's it's multifaceted. It's multidimensional. You've got to pick and choose a, what what works, you know, for you. And I think that you and Brandy have done a, a, a marvelous job. I mean, it, when you, you know, so we're going to be spending time together this week and going to a football game and cooking out, and just having a good old time. And the when I've I'm I'm around you and I see you guys together, it strikes me that you doing business and doing life together has made your relationship stronger. I've seen some, uh, you know, very successful people, friends of mine, where they, I would say, oh, I think that maybe them doing business together may, may have harmed their relationship, <laughs> right? Like, where it's like you, the, the stress comes in totally. and you can say, oh, I, maybe they uh, <laughs> changed something up here. But I, I, it strikes me as that business and your business has actually helped you guys grow together and into a really you know, nice partnership. Well, I appreciate that. I think one of the defining moments that if somebody is listening and they're a married couple or even want to enter a business marriage per se, right, mm-hmm. with, with somebody they're going to lock arms with, 
I think the most defining moment for an aspiring entrepreneur, at least I'll speak on behalf of us, was when we identified what the core purpose of our life was going to be. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that I feel, and I don't mean this arrogantly, but there's a lot of things I feel like I could go do to make a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I could- Well, anybody who's talented, that's a true statement, right? You're absolutely, so, absolutely, right? Absolutely. You can, and, and so to me, um, I, I have the ability to say no to a lot of very lucrative opportunity, um, to be able to fulfill my purpose and passion and the thing that, yes, money is certainly the byproduct of what we do, but our product isn't just being an entrepreneur. Our purpose is wrapped around uh, changing lives. Mm-hmm. And so we're able to marry that purpose, those passions and those pursuits, if you will, all into one one living arena mm-hmm. um, versus just going out and chasing a paycheck or chasing an income or chasing a bank account. All those things that are, are neither you know good nor bad in their proper perspective and proper mm-hmm. place. Uh, but would be a diversion and a distraction from what we feel as a couple is our purpose for while we're here on this earth. Bob, let me ask you a question, actually, because I've been dying to ask you this question. Like, I'm looking at this Harvard Business School, right? <laughs> Just a, a setup question to begin with. So are there, are there high school friends that you still stay in touch with, one or two at least, would you say, from the early days? Oh, yeah, days? for sure. I've okay. got, a, I've got uh, friends I stay in touch with uh, on Facebook that we went to grade school together. And here's why I asked the question is, is because – you know, I tease you a lot offline about all the names of people and I won't name drop for the okay. purpose of this podcast, but it, it, you know, Bob social circle of influencers that exist in, on the planet today has changed over the years. And, uh, from maybe when he was in high school to going through college to, you know, aid the camp to a four-star gen, all the, you know, all your progression now into the success you have. How has your relationships with those buddies, I'm assuming it's a small group of them, because at least that's typical for most people Mm -hmm. as the years go by. How has your relationships changed with those people now that you've entered a very different social circle of influencers when you're with them? Has it changed, I guess, is the first question. That's a a really interesting question. Um, uh, Let me... I had an opportunity to go visit a uh, a friend of mine from college. Let me, I guess, sure. I, 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 since I'm here in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is where I went to. You know, I'm, I did my undergraduate work, and so I've got a lot of friends in the local area uh, that I still stay in touch with. And you know, what is it? Maybe 25 years now. Yeah. I've, I've graduated. It does not. It does not seem that's been that long, right? 25 years. It seems like it was just yesterday. Uh, but my my wife and I were going to go see a, a friend of mine who is actually in the hospital here. And um, it's easy, I think, to revert back to kind of like your thought process and uh, 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 of that time frame, right? And whenever when I go and see a, a friend group, I can instantly like want to start to engage on the topics and the themes and the things that were very important to us during that time frame, yeah, right? Sure. And I kind of made a, a mental. Uh, note as I went, so it's like I, I, that I didn't want to revert back to 18, 19 year old Bob, yeah. but I, I, I wanted, I wanted to engage on a different, you know, a different level with my friend. And, yeah. and we did, it was, it could, could, but a lot of times it, the, the easy thing was, it was a, a college teammate of mine. Right. Yeah. And, and it's really easy for us to go back and just to be thinking about, Hey, remember when this, and remember when that, remember we went when this track trip or whatever. And I wanted to just to have a different type of conversation yeah. with him. And, and it, 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 so I, I don't know. There's, there's that gravitational pull to kind of, you know, re- remember back when. And it, sometimes that can be healthy. Sometimes it can't be healthy. Sure. Right. Um, but I would say that 
if I were to, you know, obviously there's a big difference between, you know, who I was at the age of 18 versus who I am at the age of 40. I just turned 45. So, <laughs> but I ho hopefully there's been a, a story arc of improvement, which I think that I think there is. I've, I've grown and changed as a, as a human being. There's you know, my, my values um, are different. My, my, the, my outlook in life is different. Um, I don't know, but I don't know if I'm answering your question. What was, where, where, am I, am, no, I, you are. am I close it, to it or am, it, I, am I missed the mark? It's a more of a learning opportunity for me because I know each of us have a, a small group of friends. They say, uh, uh, I think the analytic that I read once was a, a male has, you know, up to two to maybe three mm -hmm. friends that they went to high school with that over time they truly stay in touch with, mm -hmm. maybe one even, right? Right. And so as I've had some of those experiences, our lives have taken very diverse, but very clearly mm -hmm. uh, uh, gapped differences yeah. in a lot of ways, not judging good or bad, but just um, we've made different choices mm -hmm. over the years. And uh, as I have conversations with you, I always, I view you as a, as a, as a climber, right? Mm -hmm. Not, not somebody that's just camping somewhere and, and, you know, living their days out in, you know, I think Benjamin Franklin said it, most men die at 25, they just wait to 75 mm -hmm. to be buried, right? Yeah. And uh, as I've watched you not just wait out your time, but also aspire, uh, I'm just, I'm mm -hmm. curious yeah. because life has had a radical difference, but I also see you as a polar upper, you know, mm -hmm. as far as grabbing people and, and just by your very presence, you, that magnetism pulls people up to want to aspire to be better. Well, it's a kind compliment. I, I appreciate that. Um, I, w I want to strive to get better in helping people. That it is a passion of mine, of whether it's with information, help, you know, but uh, just helping people uh, to achieve more, to live the, to be the best version of them. To be, yeah. be, how, how can we be the best version of us? That you know, God's put. A, I'm a firm believer that God's put us all here for a reason. That there is, there's no such thing as a mistake. And that we all have a purpose, and how can we help people uh, live out their passion and their purpose to make a difference in the world? Um, so, and part of that is asked because you know sometimes they ask, "What's your productivity hack?" Mm -hmm. And I was sharing with you earlier, you know, yeah. the proximity principle, right? right? And so you're a guy that, in my life, I was specific intent. I, I try to keep in close proximity mm -hmm. because uh, you have the uh, you have the ability to. Uh, the more I'm around you to show the gaps in certain areas of mm -hmm. your life, right? And so yep. uh, I think it's important for all of us to really realize that proximity principle is real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the more it's brought into your life with specific intent, whether it be in parenting, marriage, entrepreneurship, whatever it might be, uh, the less time you'll waste and the more gap you'll fill over mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Well, one of, you know, as you at asked that question, one of the things that it, it jogged my memory of a missed opportunity that I think that I will go to my grave regretting, uh, and it, it ha literally happened within the last year. So I was back in Flint, Michigan, and I, I had been driving down the road where I used to live. Yeah. And I was, I was between meetings, and I, just, I had a couple minutes of free time. I was like, I'm just going to go drive through my old neighborhood. And a guy that I had been my best friend all through childhood. I mean, we went through grade school together, middle school together, high school. Uh, so during the summers, I mean, we would just spend the literally the entire summer camping, biking, right? Best yeah. buds. Yeah. And he still lived. Uh, he, he actually had bought his parents' house in that neighborhood and who was still there. And I was uh, driving down the road. And I noticed that his car was in the driveway. His garage door was open. And he was in the garage doing some work. And I hadn't seen him for yeah. a couple of years. Yeah. 
And, you know, so my mom and dad at the time still lived there. I'm like, I'm back here all the time. And I, there was a split second where I thought, I'm going to pull in and just say hi. I haven't, I haven't seen them in a while. Yeah. And I thought, no, I'm late for this meeting. I've got this. That's more important, right? I'm, you know, and the focus, I'll, I'll circle back the next time I'm in town. And literally, I, where I was in, um, I was out of the country, but I got a, a phone call I thought like, this is odd. This was this this guy's brother, and uh, was calling and had made it through. Left a, a voicemail message on my phone that he had literally uh, run into some medical complications and passed away. Wow. And I had lit, I had literally just been driving down the road, and had thought about how I'm going to go in and say hi to him. And I mean, it really it really wrecked me yeah. because I hadn't. Yeah, I was like, man, why didn't I take ten minutes and just have that conversation, just to rehash and have you know, and talk with them? And now I never get that opportunity. And the one of the, I guess, it's that battle that I have right now in terms of we talked a little bit about it, of work life balance. Sure. And um, do you think that causes you to move slower? You know, they say walk slowly through the crowd. I think for me, at least, when I have those types of life experiences where there's a little bit of guilt on the back end of not seizing a moment of maybe more people mm-hmm. versus task because I'm very task oriented mm-hmm. by nature. Yeah. Do you think that makes you uh, a little more aware uh, of, of, of the walking slowly through the crowd and how much more value there actually is there versus maybe the task at the moment? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, and so there's been oh, just a litany of examples I could give of um, whether it's where, where I've slowed down specifically to be more relational with somebody. So, you know what, I'm going to take time to do this. Yeah. Whereas in the, in the past, I would have been, I got to go and I got this meeting. I've got this to do, my to-do list. And I was just focus, 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 focus. And so, um, I don't know, it, it's little things like that, that I think that I, I'm, I'm trying to dial it in. I mean, sure. Going back to your original question about do you stay in touch with high school and, you know, people back in the day. And, um, that was one where I wish I would have done a better job and, sure. I, and I didn't, but the, the learning lesson for me is that relationships are everything. Amen. Take time to, you know, the, the, the old adage of, you know, take time to smell the roses or enjoy the journey. And I, I wish I could have that one back. And one of the questions I had here for you is, you know, what are the, is there, is there something in life that you wish you could do, have a do over on? And for me, that that's, there's a whole, I've got a, I could have a laundry list of do overs I wish I had. That's one of them. I wish I had a do over there for that 10 minute conversation with a childhood friend that I hadn't seen for years. So I'm like, ah, I'll get to it next time. Sometimes there is no next time. Yeah. No, I think that's true. It, so the question is, is there. Well, what would your do over be? Is Do you have something that, you know, that you wish that you, you, you know, what it could be life, business, but if you had a do over, what would it be? Yeah. I don't know if, so there's certainly things that in the moment, knowing what I know now, I would go back and maybe do differently, mm-hmm. but I, I don't regret the outcome of the choices mm-hmm. that I, you know, maybe inappropriately made mm-hmm. because to, to that point with your friend, yeah. I think there was, or potentially is a valuable lesson that uh, makes you more complete and, and valuable to the planet while you're yeah, here. Right. Absolutely. And so to judge whether that was put in place for that purpose or not is not mine to make. Uh, but it does actually remind me of something that I had to learn that I think mm-hmm. every successful entrepreneur has to learn at some point too, which is 
learning not to confuse quality decision-making with the results of those decisions. And it comes from a book that I know you had recommended my way uh, not too long ago, actually. And it, I picked it up and I honestly could not set the book down because I felt like it explained my, certainly my 15 to 17 to 18 year mm -hmm. you know, entrepreneurial journey. Um, and had I known it, I would have probably shortened that down to, to yeah. a fraction of the amount of time it took. But I, I'm certainly thankful for the journey we've taken to get to this point because it's made me who I am. But that, that piece of, of helping me understand, I grew up playing a lot of cards, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, there, was a, there was a point in my life where I got into gambling and it wasn't a good thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things this author expressed was that life's a lot more like a game of poker than it is uh, a game of chess. You know, and they, I'm definitely not the, the resident chess expert as we sit here today. But as I understand it, there is a exact right move at every movement throughout the game. And when you lose, you can go back and point specifically to the move that you erred in to be able to make a better move to, mm -hmm. to change the outcome. Life isn't always that way. You know, mm -hmm. even in the example you just presented, it reminds me of the lesson that I was reminded of in this book where it's a lot more like poker, you know, mm -hmm. where you can make quality decisions and you can make the best decision at every point along, you know, the hand yep. and and the, the awful fate of luck, if you will, uh, with that last card can cause you to lose mm -hmm. the hand. And uh, I think there was many points in my life where I could look at and say, man, I don't like the result of that. But if I go back and question some of the decisions I made, uh, you know, we could evaluate mm -hmm. those a little differently. And uh, the resulting, as they called in cards, right? Mm -hmm. The resulting piece of it is where most people get confused. You know, they say that your results in life will be based on one of two factors, the quality of your decisions and or luck. And there are just things that sometimes are outside of your control that lead to a poor, what you would perceive at least as a poor outcome. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily imply that you made bad decisions along right. the way to get to that outcome. But when I look at my life, it could be paralleled in a lot of ways with that description because I would judge specifically as, as we're talking here today about entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. there were points where the scoreboard wasn't really exciting, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I was following the process that I was taught based on that proximity principle right. of people that had walked that path. And, um, there was a season where I would lay the hammer down and then pull the hammer up and lay the hammer down and pull the hammer up based on the results. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and what I had to learn at some point was the results weren't necessarily all based on the, or the, 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 the success of an entrepreneur wasn't always going to be based on the result of a particular decision as much as if you made enough quality decisions mm -hmm. and lined them up for yep. long enough that the, 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 uh, odds were in your favor and just like they are for anybody that will, you know, stand that test of time. Well, well said. There, there lots of examples in, in my life that I could give that would echo that. Well, number one, thanks for sharing. And Brandy, I, I want to thank you for uh, impromptu, right? Impromptu expert over here just jumped in and answered a couple of good questions. And I, I really enjoyed getting to understand a little better how you guys kind of li live life and do life together, especially as a, a couple who are building a business, entrepreneurs. And it, it seems like you've got a, for you, you've got these success principles down that you guys are leveraging and being very intentional about. And it's, uh, I, I, I enjoy learning from you guys. I, I want to ask a couple of rapid fire questions as we, as we close up okay. this episode. All right. So random, completely oh random rapid fire questions. Or as they say in Flint, Michigan, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> All right. Um, wh what's an exotic place that you have on your bucket list of someplace you'd like to go? 
uh, on the bucket list would be Bora Bora. Really? Yeah, one of the favorite, our favorite places on earth that we visited has been Maui, Hawaii. And uh, we have a goal to get back there here again in the very near future. But Bora Bora would definitely be at the top of the list. And I only say that because friends would send me that when mm-hmm. I was sitting in my in my cell, I mean cubicle, you know, as an engineer. And they'd invite me. I don't know if you've received this email, but the invitation to lunch, you know, yeah. on the glass bottom huts. Oh, and, yeah. And the crystal blue water. And and uh, I would sit back and take 10 seconds out of my stressful fire day, you know, as an, when I worked as an engineer. And just imagine what that day would look like. Never really thinking I would ever be the guy that would have the ability to achieve it. Uh, but obviously, as times change, your belief window change, and your understanding of what's possible changes. And so that's certainly one of the places we'd like to go. Brandy, how about you? Do you, do you agree? Bora Bora? Let's... No, I agree. I don't have any place. Up. Anywhere he's going to be, I'll go. I was going to say, if she disagreed, then I would like to change my answer. <laughs> that, 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 we could have completely changed this entire episode if there was a disagreement on this one. I, was, I, was, I, I was could have answered it with honey. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Most important skill for an entrepreneur, in your opinion? I think one of the skills I wish I would have learned, at least on where I'm at in, in life as my in my journey as an entrepreneur now, is uh, realizing that uh, important decisions shouldn't be made in the emotion of the decision. Mm. That 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 quality decision making versus you know distinguishing that from the the resulting we just talked about. There were many times that we made poor decisions emotionally because of the result, not realizing that we actually had made good decisions that just led to a poor you know an undesired outcome, and so. Uh, that that would be one of the biggest ones. Too many people are too willing to make emotional decisions that ultimately will affect the course of their future and, and not in a positive way because of the poor result they feel like they're getting, which they then tend to question the decisions when it could have been right. Mm. Okay, biggest pet peeve? Mouth noises. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chewing, so I'm, I'm not judging, but if you chew with your mouth open, I'm, I'm, I'm probably looking the other way while we talk. And okay. um, smacking is a big one. So okay. um, there's people I know that, you know, we chew their gum. We had a big discussion and, on this. You're, you were teasing your <laughs> wife before, the, before we started about mouth noises. You know, I, with her and, and probably only her, it's become a really cute attribute uh, because when she gets deep in thought, if she's chewing gum, like, she really enjoys that gum. And so, uh, you know, what used to be an annoyance has maybe been just a, a little bit more of an appreciation with her, but other people, uh-uh. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll try to make sure I'm not chewing my hot dog at the football game this weekend <laughs> too loudly. All right. Final, final one. What book are you currently reading? It's a great question. The, uh, the books that I'm currently reading, I probably wouldn't share just because they might not be, uh, in general, the, the right selections for the audience that's listening, but I will answer it maybe in a different way if okay, that's okay. Yeah. And it's, uh, um, sure, it's your podcast. Go ahead. Yeah, there you go. Right. It, it would be more the, uh, less the what and more the why. Okay. And it, I guess it would, it would boil back to that proximity principle. Right. So, uh, less of what and more of why, what I mean by that is it's not so much relevant, the title that I'm reading at the moment, as much as how I've gotten to that title. And part of that is, is I've sought wisdom from people in areas that I'm looking to grow and mm-hmm. or that they're looking to have input and, and, and um, wisdom brought in, onto the table. And, and so that accountability piece of bringing people within your proximity that you have access to, like there's people that I know you know that I don't know at this point in my life mm-hmm. uh, that I already have lists of questions prepared for the moment when I get to meet them because I'm going to make sure I'm in your luggage or wherever, you, you know, yeah. wherever you're going to be. And, and there's specific things that they've done in their life that uh, I want to bring into my proximity circle so that I can glean from that. And so 
I guess for me to answer that question, be less of what I'm reading as much as how I'm coming to that decision. One of the one of the most disappointing. This is a long answer to a short question, but I think it's really relevant. One of the most disappointing things I see in aspiring entrepreneurs is when they take their own advice for all mm-hmm. their learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not saying there's not a certain healthy aspect to that when you're on just some decompression time or just want general learning. But man, what a long process that you don't have to go through if you'll just seek to bring into your proximity people that are better in areas that you than what you are currently, or maybe see things in your own blind spots that mm-hmm. you don't currently see, but you're not willing to ask that question, mm-hmm. right? And so some of the titles I am currently reading come from that guiding light, if you will, versus just my own self, you know, self uh, education, self taught education mm-hmm. uh, that I'm pulling a book off the shelf because I like the title. I love the way you answer that question. I've heard this question be asked of a lot of entrepreneurs and senior leaders on various podcasts, and I've never heard that answer. I've heard a lot of people will they'll mention that you know your, your classic business books. Oh, you know what's your favorite one? Oh, good to great. I mean, there's a, a various business books that are always ranking at the top. You know, five, top ten. I've literally never heard a senior leader give the answer that you just gave. I think it's one of the things that I admire and respect about you because you personify for me a a lifelong learner, but you're very intentional about it. So instead of just grabbing something that you hear mentioned on a podcast, you're going out to people who are close and near and dear to you and asking uh, intentional questions of, hey, where can I get better? Where can I get stronger? Recommend something specific for me for this next chapter of my life. Uh, and you're taking that ad- ad- advice. And uh, that's, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I like hanging out and spending time with you because you're so intentional in that area of always scaling up and getting better. It's not my dad jokes, huh? Yeah, it's not your dad jokes. <laughs> definitely not your dad jokes. Yeah, or your Flint jokes. As a former Flint guy, I don't like it when my hometown gets busted on, but we're both Flint boys, that's so right. it's all right. Well, Tim, Brandy, thank you so much for being on the on the show today. Thank you for your your wisdom. Thanks for uh, the way that you you live your life and the example that you are for people, not only within our, our business, you know, I, I love the fact that you and I are business partners right. and that we get to work together and, and kind of do life together. Uh, I feel that you, you help me be a better person and I feel motivated, inspired to, uh, to, to lever up when I'm around you. Uh, so, but it, more than that, I just want to say thank you for these words of wisdom for our listeners And for those that are listening today, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I hope that you found something, a nugget, uh, a a theme, something uh, in in our conversation that will help you on your journey, whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur, whether you're a current entrepreneur and you're you're maybe in the midst of your venture. I hope that uh, what we talked about today is encouraging for you. If you have somebody that you'd like us to interview, somebody that you'd like to have on this show, Uh, please send us an email, get in contact with us, and we will do our best to interview that individual. And as always, we're trying to bring the very best to you and to tease out things that they've learned in their journey so that you can be intentional about your path to success. And you don't have to learn by your own mistakes, but you can learn through the mistakes maybe of others and also the successes of others. So I wish you the best in your journey. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Taking the Leap podcast with your host, Bob Dickey. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.takingtheleappodcast.com and bonvera.rocks. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Taking the Leap.